Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Open your Bible to James chapter 5. We're going to finish our study today of James. And I'm going to confess to you that it's not the easiest passage to interpret in the Bible. And some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay. We'll find out who's right when we get to heaven. (laughs) You know, when I come to the Scripture, do you ever ask questions? I mean, I ask them all the time. And, and those questions are valid questions, and we want to learn what the right interpretation is. And so you'll understand as we go. I want to re- begin reading in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. There was a leader of, I'm not going to mention the nomination, but one of those denominations where they have prayer book. And he was called into the home of a parishioner or a member who had been bitten by a rattlesnake. And when he got there, he was asked, would you pray for me? I've been bitten by a snake. And so he looked through his book and he looked through his book, finally he closed it, and he said, I'm sorry, sir, there is no prayer for rattlesnake bite. All you can do is die. <laughs> that is not a true story. <laughs> There's a lot of controversy over this passage, but I want you to understand that this passage really is about the ministry that we have of prayer, praying for one another, praying for help, rejoicing in prayer, And so today, this message is a little more tedious than normal, I guess you would say, because I want you to look at it with me objectively and really try to pull out what it means. Why? Because every time you look at it in the English translation, you think, well, there's something doesn't fit here. So we'll cover it. First of all, James talks about what I call the prayer of relief. Any of you suffering Kakapatheo is the word. It means anything that's difficult, evil treatment, to suffer misfortune, to go through hard times, all sorts of difficulty. 
Paul uses this word in 2 Timothy when he says, you endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Same word, kakapateo, which means difficulty. And the reference is to those who were afflicted with any kind of trouble, bodily, mentally, emotionally, domestically, any kind of spiritual conflict, any kind of religious persecution, anything that's going on in your life. James says, you need to pray. Why is it that the last thing we try to do when we're going through difficulty is pray? And the word pray is in the present tense, which means you continuously pray. Continuously ask God for help. We sing that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. What a privilege it is to care. What a friend we have in Jesus. Uh, All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We need to learn to pray when we're going through difficult times. God, help us. Help me know what to do. I I love the prayer of an elderly preacher who's reported to have prayed this prayer every day. Listen to what he prayed. Oh, Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log and ribs like the large timbers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on my feet, galvanized britches on my body. Give me a rhinoceros hide for skin and hang up a wagon load of determination in the gable end of my soul. Help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a tooth and then gum him until I die. (laughs) Now, that's a real prayer. God, I need you to give me the strength to go on. So we pray for the prayer for relief. The flip side of that coin is the prayer of rejoicing. He says in verse 13, let, is anyone cheerful? Youth am I, anyone who is well in spirit, you've got a happy attitude. Everything's going your way today. Everything's good. When things are going well, we should praise. It says, let him sing salato, which is a form of prayer psalms. Praise is a form of prayer. God's been good to us, hasn't he? Has he been good to you? You know, most of the time we just complain, but when we have good things happening to us, do you ever say, God, thank you for letting me be here. Thank you for what you allow me to have. Thank you for the health that you have given me. Thank you for the the life that you've given me. Thank you for letting me live in Lubbock. (laughs) One little boy was saying his bedtime prayers with his mom, and he said, Lord, bless mommy and daddy, and God, give me a new bicycle. His mom said, John, God's not deaf. He said, I know, Mom, but Grandma's in the next room. She's hard of hearing. (laughs) Well, I want you to know we give credit to Grandma and Grandpa for what they do for us, but God is the one who gives us all good things to enjoy. So learn to thank, thank God in the good times. And then he speaks what I'm going to call the prayer of restoration. Now, here's a passage that I think has been misinterpreted for many, many years. And I'm going to tell you why I believe what I do. So you're going to have to stay with me. There's some technical things. Because, see, there's some questions for me. 
Some of my questions are, if, if somebody's sick, why do you call the elders of the church? Why do you not go to the doctor or call somebody with a gift of healing? At this time, the gift of healing was still going. How sick do you have to be to call the elders? And then what does that mean if, if, the, if, if they pray the prayer of faith, they will be saved and sins will be forgiven? You see, there's just a lot of stuff in there to me that doesn't fit. And the problem is interpreting the word sick. Okay, the word sick is asthenio, A-S-T-H-E-N-E-O. It can refer to physical sickness. Sometimes it does. In the Gospels, we find the weakness to be of a physical nature. Asthenio is used. But also that word means weakness. Or, and can, can it normally, actually it's used more times for spiritual weakness or weariness. And, and so what does it mean here? Is it physical sickness or is it spiritual weariness? It's almost like a person's out of fellowship with God. They're just out here and they're, and they're not where they're supposed to be, spiritually speaking. Are you with me? Because in verse 15, the word is different. You see the word sick in verse 14, and then the word sick in the word in verse 15 is a different word. It's the word conmo, K-A-N-M-N-O, K-A-M-N-O, conmo or comno, or, and it means to grow weary, to be fatigued, to be exhausted, to be weary, to faint from labor, distressed with labor or anything else. And the only other time that word is used, comno, is in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3, which says, For consider him, that is Jesus, consider Jesus who endeared such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary, comno, and discouraged in your souls. The only other time it's used means to grow weary. So why would he use that word in verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, comno? Verse 14, is anyone among you asthenio, which can mean physical sickness, and it can mean weariness. How do you determine what it means by the context? Now, we'll tell you, and I'm not being critical, I'm just going to tell you the truth. A lot of the English translations use the word sick, but they're influenced all the way back to the Church of England, 1611 and King James, because even before then, the, and the Church of England sprung off of the Catholic Church because King James wanted to be having a marriage annulled and they wouldn't do it, so he, they started the Church of England and that's a whole, you just read it for yourself. But what I want you to say is that even before 1611, the Catholic Church was practicing extreme unction. That's what it was called at that time. I don't think they call it that anymore, where somebody was called in when somebody was dying, and they would basically anoint them with oil, and they could make a confession before they died so that they would, would go. 
And so when they translated this, they just used a lot of that same uh, language to anoint with oil and, and so forth. Now, another point here is, is the word in verse 16, where it says that you may be healed, is the word Iomai, I-A-O-M-A-I, and it's never used in the New Testament epistles, letters, to mean physical healing. It's never used that way. Hebrews 12, 13, 1 Peter 2, 24. Now, when you look at the Greek lexicon, let's go back to verse 14 to the word asthenio, sick. When you look at the lexicons, the primary meaning of that word is weak, feeble, impotent, weary. Romans 14.1 says, receive one who is weak in the faith, asthenio. Romans 14.21, it is good neither to eat meat or drink wine or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak, asthenio. 1 Corinthians 8 9, don't be a stumbling block to them that are weak. Asthenio. 2 Corinthians 12 10, Paul said that when he was weak, asthenio, he was strong, God's grace or God's strength. So it makes more sense for the rest of the verses if you look at it this way Is any among you weak? spiritually worn out, spiritually weak. So far, are you with me? Then you call the elders of the church. Now, if that means physical sickness, again, how sick do you have to be to call the elders of the church? Is that all sickness? Do you have the sniffles? By the way, let me pause this YouTube video right here. If you go into the hospital, please call us. Please let us know. We have people that visit the hospitals every day. And if we don't know you're there, we can't visit you. And we can't get it from the hospital because of all the ridiculous laws today that protect everybody from themselves even. I'm, sometimes they won't even give me my own name. But... But I, I want you to know, if we miss you in the hospital, it's because we didn't know you were there. That's the only reason we'll miss you in the hospital. Do we? And, and let me also, while this YouTube video is paused, do we pray for the sick? Absolutely we do. Do I believe God can heal people? Absolutely I believe it. Do we pray that he will heal people? Absolutely we pray. I just don't think you can use this verse for that. Because to call the elders, why? Why call the elders? Do they have a hotline to God? Because after in a minute, he talks about the prayer of a righteous man avails much. So anybody can pray for other people when you pray walking with the Lord. So why call the elders just when somebody's sick, physically sick? You see, I believe it really talks about being spiritually worn out out of fellowship with God, somebody wants to come back and walk in the ways of the Lord, and then 
they call the spiritual leaders of the church who are responsible for guiding the souls of them they are teaching, and you you ask them for help. Help me know. I want to confess my sin. I want to pray. I want to be right with God. That makes sense? After all, this is one of the first letters written, the earliest letters written in the New Testament. The gift of healing was still very much going around. And, and, and so it looks to me like you would, you would and, and people with the gift of healing couldn't just heal people at will. God had to lead them to do that. That's a whole other story. But the answer to why the elders are called is much easier to explain if it's a spiritual weakness. And then that explains the sin being forgiven. And that explains the, the restoration here. And, and now let's talk about anointing with oil. Alipho is the word to rub or oil, the practice of anointing with oil in connection with physical healing has a very weak biblical basis because it's really only found one place in Mark 6.13. You find the word alipho, anointing with oil for the sick, just briefly mentioned. But did you know anointing with oil is used at different places in the New Testament for a lot of different things? So there's no consistency with it. For example... In Mark 6.13, people were helped with, with anointing of oil. But, but in Luke 10.34, it's used for uh, comfort. Oil and wine poured in a wound to bring comfort. It's used for the weary in Matthew 6.17. It's used for the healthy in Luke 7.38. It's even used for anointing the dead in Mark 16.1. So you don't find any common denominator but to say that, well, you've got to anoint somebody with oil for them to be physically healed. You don't have a basis. You don't have a solid, uh, a, a continual basis for that. I believe it's best to understand it as a cultural refreshment for the weary of some sort. The anointing of oil was simply a cultural bound expression of care and honor. There wasn't anything, um, lack of a word, magical about the oil or power in the oil. It, it was used to show care and honor, and we do that in different ways. To me, the key phrase is in the name of the Lord. By the way, you don't find anybody, and they're nowhere in the book of Acts do you find any healing with anointing of oil. You, don't, you just don't see it. And then in the, in, the, in the New Testament epistles, this word asthenio is always used for spiritual weariness. In the name of the Lord is consistent with who Jesus is. Let me ask you this. Y'all look scary today. I just want you to know. It's kind of like... Can't tell if you agree or not, but if you, let's use the word backslide. You don't lose your salvation, but if you're out here where you're not supposed to be and Holy Spirit's just worn you out and you know and you want to come back like the prodigal son, you want to come home. Will God forgive you? Are you sure? You're positive. Absolutely he will. In the name of the Lord, that's who he is. 
He's forgiven all of us. But then, then you get these people that say, well, the prayer of faith will save the sick. Look at verse 15. Now, in the Greek, I'm telling you, this is technical today. In the Greek, the genitive construction means it's, it's um, possession. Basically, it's saying the prayer that's possessed by faith. It could be translated a lot of different ways, such as the prayer offered in faith, the faithful prayer, the prayer which is prayed faithfully, the prayer which is to express faith, the prayer which is derived from faith, the prayer which contains faith, the prayer which is associated with faith, and so on. There's not a such thing as the, the prayer of faith by itself. It's just not. Now, I know there are people who are going to tell you, well, you know what? We're going to pray over you, and if you have enough faith, then you're going to be physically healed. That's baloney. It's another Greek word that I made up. It's best understood the prayer which is to express your faith in Christ. You're coming back to him. You are coming to him saying, Lord, I've, I want you to forgive me. I'm going to use 1 John 1, 9. I confess my sins. You are faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me. And Lord, I'm, I believe that. I'm praying in faith. I believe that. I'm coming back to you. And then he uses the word, will save the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the word for sick there is komno, which is never used for physical sickness. Sozo is the word for save, to preserve, to make whole, to rescue. Let me just show you how James has used it. James 1.21, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James 2.14, can faith save him? James 4.12, the one who is able to save and to destroy. And here, right here in James 5.20, will save a soul from death. All of those are words for is the word sozo, and it's clearly used to speak of the soul, not the body. You know there's a difference. You have a spirit, soul, and body. You can see my body. You can see the body that David Wilson lives in, but you cannot see my spirit or soul. And one of these days, death will occur, thanatos, which means separation. My soul and spirit are going to separate from this body and go to be with the Lord, and I'll get a new body, thank God. Now, the word usage of sozo in other places in James is a strong argument that leads us to view this as restoration. In James 5.15, the prayer given in faith will restore the weary. It will raise him up which means to awaken, to arouse, to excite. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See how all that makes sense? The word forgiven means to send away, to lift up and bear away. So if we eliminate the bias, whether it's weariness or, I mean, or sickness, physical sickness or weariness, if we eliminate that and just simply translate the words according to their basic meaning, it would read like this. 
If anyone among you, is anyone among you weak? He ought to call the elders of the church to pray for him, applying oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will restore the one who is weary, and the Lord will raise him, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. To me, that's the only way to make sense of that verse, those two verses. Does that mean I'm not ever going to pray for the physically sick? No, don't read that. But you've got to remember something here. James is writing to new Jewish believers. And some of these Jewish believers were having a hard time leaving their legalism to follow just Jesus. And they were struggling and persecution was beginning. Well, if you take it like that, then the next verse makes sense. The prayer for relationships. Verse 16, therefore, which is a transition word, therefore, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be, I, oh my, restored, raised up. It doesn't mean physical healing. If you're headed down the wrong path, you need somebody to help hold you accountable. One of the reasons we come together is to encourage one another. And listen, if, if you were to see me, I'll use me as an example. If you were to see me heading down a path of open immorality, you saw me not being, you saw me headed toward a path where I wouldn't be faithful to my wife. Is it your business to talk to me? Is it? What if I tell you it's none of your business? <laughs> I like that. Well, there you, what I'm trying to tell you is, is in Galatians, it says, if we see a brother overtaken in a fault, as long as you're not in that fault, you're supposed to go to them in love and talk to them to try to keep them from ruining their life. So the relationships here, it's good for us to talk to one another. It doesn't mean you've got to confess every sin you've ever committed to one another. But if you're struggling in an area, just like Friday night, when they, we had an excellent presentation about the elephant in the room, the way to overcome that is to have a, an accountability to confess that to someone else and to say, I need you to pray for me and to help me. Amen. So the prayer for relationships is there. Which leads to the prayer from righteousness. Look at verse 16. He uses Elijah. It says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and so forth. The effective, the energetic, the energy in the prayer comes from somebody who's walking with the Lord. doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you have no sin. But it means you've got somebody you know is walking daily with the Lord, and when they pray... It has some energeo in it, energy. It has, it avails much. It's effective. 
Sometimes we don't think much about the way we live, but did you know it does affect your prayer life? The word avails much is very strong, and he uses Elijah. Now, this is the same guy who had some issues too. I mean, he wasn't perfect, and you can read about him in 1 Kings 17 when he prayed when it wouldn't rain. I need him to come pray that it would rain here in, in, in West Texas. We're praying for rain. But he prayed earnestly. It literally translates, he prayed with prayer. When you pray, do you pray with prayer? What are you talking about? When you ask the blessing, you're about to eat a meal. Are you really grateful for what you're about to eat? Or are you just saying it so you can get on with it? Maybe that's not the best analogy, but sometimes we just treat God like a divine bellhop and say, oh, by the way, God, I need this, 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 and this. See you. Thank you. In Jesus' name. To pray with prayer, you realize who you're talking to. And you talk to God. You pray from righteousness. You pray like it really matters. And finally... I think James speaks of a prayer for rescue. Some people use this verse to mean you can lose your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation if you've got the real one. Now, you can lose your religion, and you can lose your church membership, but if you've really been saved, you can't lose that. First of all, you didn't save yourself. You don't keep yourself saved. But... Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Mercy. These people are lost. They're perishing. Let's talk about the characteristics of the perishing. First of all, it says they have wandered from the truth. The word wander, we get our word planet from that. It's the planeo. We get our word planet means to wonder or be deceived. Jesus used this word when they, he said in Matthew twenty two twenty nine, 29, you are mistaken for not, for not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Planao is the word for mistaken. Titus 3, 3, at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived. Planao. The word means somebody who's not a Christian. So a person that is perishing has strayed from the truth. Anybody that tells you that Jesus is one of the ways to be saved has strayed from the truth. Anybody that tells you that Jesus is not God, one with God the Father and the Spirit, is strayed from the truth. Anybody that tells you that Jesus' blood was not required for the atonement of our sins has strayed from the truth. Is it possible, yes or no, Is it possible for somebody to come to church and not be saved? Yes. I was one of those people for a long time. And so James is saying there are are Jewish people who are among these new believers, and they're trying to come out of the 
legalism of Judaism and finding Jesus' only way, and they, they kind of get influenced when Jesus talked about the parable of the sower, man sowing seed. It fell on the rocky ground, which was shallow ground. It sprang up, but there was no root. John said, if they were of us, they would not have gone out from among us. People are influenced by the gospel, but don't follow Jesus. The book of Galatians was written because there were Christians who were trying to mix Judaism back with Christianity. And Paul says, it's just Jesus. And if you find somebody who says, it's not just Jesus, then they've wandered from the truth. And they are not saved. Because you cannot be a saint. You cannot be saved apart from following Christ alone, trusting Him alone. So these people have strayed from truth in principle. They have left the gospel. But notice what else they've done. They have strayed from the truth in practice. They error of His way. They've gone into rejecting. They live a life that does not bear out Christianity. Folks, I want to tell you, you'll meet people a lot that say they're believers in Christ, and yet you don't ever see any action. Just because you profess Christianity doesn't mean you possess Christ in your life. And then he uses the word sinner in verse 20. The word sinner is used 47 times in the New Testament. It is never used except for somebody who's not saved. Never used any other way. Now, there are some other words that talk about sin, but, but this word is only used for an unbeliever and actually refers to a hardened unbeliever. For example, Matthew 9, 13, Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Luke 7, 37, behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Romans 5, 8, excuse, yeah, uh, excuse me, Luke 15, 7, joy in the heaven over one sinner who repents. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So this person doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to see where they're headed. It's a catastrophe of the perishing Save a soul from death, cover a multitude of sins. The word souls, the word suke, which I've already mentioned to you, the soul is what's inside the body. A soul from death. When you die, can you die again? Yeah, not physically. You're not going to physically die but once. But when your soul dies, it's apart from God for eternity. We don't like to talk about hell. 
Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sins, it shall die. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Proverbs 10.2, righteousness delivers from death. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven? He's come to save us. And so when we pray for the lost, we're praying for the rescue. We're pr- it's, you need to pray for people by name. Listen, those people you work with, those people in your family, those people you go to school with, the people in your neighborhood, some of them are so nice. They're, they're nice people. But if they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. Sounds harsh, doesn't it? It is harsh. But God is a just God. And God doesn't look on sin. And the only way that you can be made right with God is for your sin to be paid for. And the only way for somebody to pay for your sin was to die. And the only one that could die and be resurrected was Jesus because he was sinless. And now Jesus has taken the sting out of death. He has the keys to heaven and hell. And when you place your faith in Jesus, he's the one that takes us. He's the one that comes in and saves us. He's the one that gives us his righteousness. God imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus. You are immersed in his righteousness and you are. Go to heaven. You go to be with Jesus when the soul separates from the body. And that's why he uses those terms. Someone turns him to the truth, turns a sinner from the error of his own device and way, and saves a soul from eternal death and his sins are covered. I've been mad at a lot of people at times in my life. Have you? But I've never been mad enough that I wanted anybody to go to hell. And you know, I need to kind of grasp that every now and then. We, we focus on how wonderful God is, and I'm so thankful that we're, we don't have to worry about it. But we got people all around us who are lost, and they have just enough religion to confuse them. That's why we always point them to Jesus. That's why Jesus is lifted up here. I want to tell you, joining South Crest Baptist Church is not going to take you to heaven. We got some folks on the roll. I'm not sure they're going to make it. I don't know. I'm not God. It's when you join Jesus. Amen. And let me finally say, thank you for staying with me. If, if you disagree with me, I don't mind you talking to me. Just be nice. <laughs> Let's do it civilly. I really don't mind. I I really don't. But come prepared. 
And I, that's not a threat. I just, don't, don't come and say, well, I feel like this. I don't care how you feel. I want to know what you know. Okay? But let me tell you the greatest prayer you'll ever pray. It'll never be better than one that says, God, I know I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I believe that Jesus came and lived a sinless life. And I believe he died on the cross for my sin. He rose again the third day, conquering sin and death. And Lord Jesus, I commit my life to you right now. I believe that you can save me. I ask you to save me. Something like that prayer right there. It's not just praying a prayer. It's a commitment of your life. It is life-changing. You'll never be the same. And you'll never have to worry about the future when you die. If you don't know him, don't take my word for it. Read it for yourself. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray for those who need Jesus as their Savior. Please bring them to you. Convince them. Convict them. Save them. Cover them with your righteousness. Lord, there may be some folks in here who are spiritual, spiritually weary today. Maybe they just came because somebody made them come or pressured them to come, but they don't, they're not anywhere walking with you, but they want to. Please bring them home, Lord. Bring them back in the narrow way, the path, walking with you at peace. They just confess their sin. Lord, I pray for those that need a church. <laughs> I'm amazed, Lord, at the people you keep sending here. It's incredible. These wonderful, faithful, godly, hungry people who come wanting to be a part of Southcrest. Two will be baptized in the next service. Lord, I know there's some other people that need, they need to have that peace that they've been obedient to you by being baptized. They've been saved, but they've just not done the first thing you ask us to do. And Lord, there may be some in here who are weary. They're suffering. They just need somebody to pray with them. I pray that they will find a solace here where people will pray for them. So Lord, this invitation... It was yours from the beginning. You spoke to hearts before they ever came in this room. I pray that they will respond to you now. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. 